You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome, everyone. I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. On this week's episode, I had the pleasure of being joined by singer-songwriter Frank Turner. Frank Turner recently did a split EP with No Effects, one of my ultimate favorite bands, um, as a lot of you would know. And uh, yeah, they did covers of each other's songs. Uh, Frank uh, did some really great No Effects covers and really reinvented uh, some of these songs. Uh, the, the EP is called uh, West Coast versus Wessex, and you can go check that out anywhere you listen to uh, stream music. Uh, I'm also going to leave you guys with my favorite track from that EP at the end of this podcast. Uh, me and Frank uh, never talked before. We've never been in passing, nothing like that. He's all the way in London. Uh, we did a Zoom call, obviously, and you could check out the uh, the the conversation with our visuals and actually get to you know put a pretty face to these voices if you head over to the drinks with johnny youtube channel and subscribe there uh frank and i just got into a lot of a lot of fun stuff about music man uh he's uh, done some really cool things over in england uh in regards to helping out uh venues and and workers that are out of a job right now in the music industry uh we get into a lot of that and uh if you're interested in helping out there's a lot of different foundations one of them that we've been tied in with is uh roadie strong and you can find that in a google search really easy if you have the means to help out a lot of these people who are without a job right now and usually you know living paycheck to paycheck and helping put on the live music that you guys have enjoyed over the years and right now those guys are really struggling so if you have the means put it in a google search uh there's a lot of other organizations do your homework uh, um, save live music all those all those things uh so we, we get into a little bit of that we talk a little bit about the business behind everything and the economics and the reality of the music industry right now uh, we also talk, uh, you know, just about f- some fun stuff too. You know, there's a there's a lot of good things that that will come out of this, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to. It. We don't know when any of this will be happening, obviously, but uh, yeah, we get into that. We get into, of course, drinking because you know what the fuck is the show called? Drinks with Johnny or what? So we talk a little bit about drinking. We talk about his relationship with No Effects, uh, our our fandom for very similar bands and and just the art in general. So uh, without further ado, I bring you Frank Turner. What's up, everybody? I'm Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thank you so much for checking out the show, and thanks to Sweet Drop CBD Oil for uh, sending me some stuff. Uh, As many as you know, lately I've been starting off every show with this Sweet Drop CBD, particularly Blood Orange. Now, it doesn't really like alter my mind or anything like that. I don't feel that much different, but I just, you know, in my brain, feel like I'm firing on all cylinders, so I'm going to start off the show before I get into it. 
Perfect. And if you head over to sweetdrop.com, you can find out all the information about CBD or cannabis oil that you need to know about and see if it could help you with anything you got going on. And uh, guess what? If you use promo code Drinks with Johnny, you're going to get 20% off your order. That's Drinks with J O H double N Y at sweetdrop.com. So make sure you guys go check that out. Now, before I get into it, I'm excited, very excited for this week's episode. Um, I'm joined by a very awesome person, and I'm really excited to introduce him. But I just want to remind everyone you know, this is also a podcast. <laughs> I know we're watching it right now on YouTube, probably, but you're going to head over and subscribe to the podcast. For me, I like listening to podcasts when I got shit to do. I can throw it on and I could get my go, go about my day, just throw some headphones on, whatever it may be that you have to get done. You can just listen to this whole episode that way too. So make sure you're subscribing anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now, as I said, I'm really excited. I got singer songwriter, just great musician. He recently did a West Coast versus Wessex with with no effects. Uh, Frank Turner, how you doing today, man? All the way from London. All the way from London town. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, man. So um, I got to start it off by asking about uh, how life is over there in London right now with. Uh, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic yeah. that's going on during I mean I've, I've been calling it the boring apocalypse myself. <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's a strange year it's a strange time to be alive um, uh, you know um, and it's been it's funny a lot of people talk about this year as if it's kind of one monolithic experience and I don't think that's true like mm. it's been very different you know um, back in March things are pretty catastrophic I had to cancel a tour that I was on at the time and come home and then cancel an awful lot of shows that were coming up and all the rest of it and then there was a period of time when basically couldn't leave the house um and like there wasn't enough food in the local shops and this kind of thing and that yeah. was all pretty uh pretty real you know um and indeed sort of feels a little bit like a bad dream now um things have kind of eased up a bit here like you know um you can go for dinner at your friend's house um and you, you know you've got to wear face masks and shops and this kind yeah. of thing but like it's 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 easier than it was i mean Unfortunately, the one industry that is still completely poleaxed by all of this is live music, which is <laughs> yeah, what totally. I do for a living. Dude, so, yeah, um, we, we have no idea when that shit's getting back. we got to be honest. Yeah. It's probably the last thing that's going to get back to normal. No, well, I mean, essentially, there's no getting around the fact that what I do for a living involves gathering people together in large numbers, which is yeah. apparently medically advisable right now. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not like sort of... It's not like I'm complaining about the situation necessarily, but it is, it's funny because an, an awful lot of my friends who work in other parts of the economy or whatever, you know, life's really starting to get back towards something approaching normality for them now. And I'm kind of sat here, I, basically with every passing day, I, I just feel more like I'm unemployed. <laughs> well, you know, I guess I, I totally agree. Uh, but you have been uh, doing some shows. Uh, I saw that you tried, you guys are trying some live uh, settings over there in London, if I'm not mistaken, there was uh, yeah, there was a couple things I saw that you did not too terribly long ago. Yeah, so there was. I mean, the major thing that I did was um, so the government over here announced that they were going to sort of let people have reduced capacity indoor shows, subject to like a pilot event, um, you know, and seeing how that went. And they and I ended up playing the pilot show um, uh, over here. And it was really weird. Um, I mean, it was cool. It was really really nice to be on a stage in front of people again. Um, I mean, I got emotional about stuff like the monitor wedges and, you know, the fact yeah. there was a sound guy and stuff like that. And, you know, I, the kind of the, the, the crap trash receptacle in the dressing room or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> but like, um, uh, and it was amazingly in a room with, with other real other people there. Cause I did like 27 live stream shows during the depths of lockdown and Jesus. Um, so you kept yourself really busy. 
Yeah, I did. A, I did. A, I ran a campaign to raise funds for music venues, um, and we raised about two hundred thousand pounds, which I was pretty. Wow, um, that's incredible! And what what, what um, was that? Uh, before you step over that, I want to make sure is that something that's still running that you uh, that you guys are still. Um, there is on? St- there is still kind of a generalized fund, but the way I did it was each week I did a show for a different independent venue, um, and we raised between ten and fifteen thousand pounds for each venue. So wow, that's um, incredible. Uh, and did 14, 14 of those, and then there was a bunch of other stuff going on. But um, and then I did one full band live stream a couple of weeks ago, um, which was just sort of, I mean, it wasn't a benefit show necessarily. Although I'm doing a thing at the moment of I'm, I'm trying to keep paying my band and my crew through lockdown if possible because they've also lost their jobs. So yeah. um, there was a there was a fundraising element to it, should we say? Um, but yeah, you know, it's, I've been trying to keep busy um, uh, and. But playing playing to an actual audience at that pilot show was was awesome because it was different to playing to the back of your phone or your laptop, or whatever. Yeah, I can you imagine. know. Um, uh, and I was grateful for that. But it was weird because I mean, essentially, the problem we have over here is the economics don't make any sense. You know, the capacities reduced so much, and then the staff requirements are increased so much that venues will go out of business being open. Oh, absolutely. Um, under current regulations. Yeah, that's, a, that's um, so, something a lot of people don't realize. Like, uh, everyone's, yeah. like, really starving for music right now or just, you know, entertainment in general. And you're getting that, you know, yeah. I see it uh, everywhere. Like, when's Avenged's new record going to be everything? Everyone's starving for, for something to do right now, and, and I understand that. But as you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned it, the economics of it just really aren't there. There's a lot of cool ideas that people are trying, and I'm glad you were able to raise so much money for uh, for your crew and, you know, other people who yeah. are going out of business, basically. And um, Yeah, totally. So. I mean, it's, it's a funny old one because like at the beginning of lockdown, and I think a lot of people, certainly over here, a lot of people kind of forget this, is when it started, like there was a moment when it was going to be three weeks. Yeah. What <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, and at that point in time, it was like, cool, I can raise an amount of money that's just going to completely solve the problem. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, one should show up a venue and we're done and it's all good. And obviously now that situation's changed pretty radically. I mean, the government has now also stepped in over here and said that there is some funding for music venues, which is kind of cool. Um, I mean, obviously, the devil is in the detail about how that's going to get distributed and to who and when and all that kind of business. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's been a strange old time. Yeah, no, it's just crazy. You've seen, have you seen? Uh, well, obviously, you're closer to it. Some of these European festivals that are trying to put tables out and stuff and separate everybody. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, so there's a thing. I mean, I don't know about kind of actual pre-existing festivals because I think that trying to what this is the thing that kind of bothers me is that like people trying to sell tickets for an event that's sort of pretending to be quote unquote normal yeah um that can strand territory that almost feels a little duplicitous to me at times you know whereas i mean the thing that's really starting up right now over here is kind of like people who are on campsites are kind of like trying to put on an event where there's a stage and then everybody stays in their tent and then it's kind of socially distanced that way um and I think that's kind of interesting, you know, um, and uh, so I think that, you know, that there's, it's cool that people are kind of trying different stuff. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that there's people just kind of booking festivals and shows and tours and stuff for next year, for next summer, even for next spring um, that are just kind of normal. And I, I have a kind of ethical issue with that because it's just like, it's not going to happen. No, it's you not. Know what I mean? No, like, it's, uh, I'm so glad you said that because, I mean, it just, it, it really, it truly is false hope. I mean, there's no, there's no way we're getting back to the capacity that we could just pre- like have i mean i hope they could still put on the festival of some kind but yeah it's I not going to be the same way there's just no there, there, there's yeah. no chance in hell no totally i mean i guess the thing is you know none of us know what's going to happen and you know six months ago none of us knew that we were going to be here um 
And, you know, people talk about va a vaccine would change the dynamic pretty dramatically. And, and of course, I think a, a lot of people's kind of hopes are resting on that. Um, and, and, you know, and if I'm wrong about all of this, I'll be extremely pleased. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> of like, course. No, no. That, that's, it's, it's safe to say this right now because, as you said, if we're wrong about our, our pessimism, it, it, it's going to be, we'll be very happy I'll, to I'll be overjoyed. Yeah, yeah, completely. Not least because I might be able to, like, make a living again, which would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, we'll, we'll see, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I guess, that, you know, one of the things I'm doing is trying to err on the side of caution. Um what, one thing that, I, that sort of line of thought that I had that was kind of interesting was like, um, you know, if you think about eras like Prohibition in the States or um, uh, Second Summer of Love in the UK in the late 1980s, there was a thing, there was a scene called the free party scene where okay. people were running illegal raves. So they would just like hire a sound system, go and set up in the middle of a forest and have a massive ecstasy fuel rave. And like these, you know, if somebody grew up with kind of like punk rock and anarchism and stuff like those are very attractive kind of models to me, that idea of kind of telling the man to go fuck himself and going and doing what you do anyway. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot. The problem is, is that rebelling against, you know, the government is one thing and rebe rebelling against public health measures. Yeah, that's, I totally agree. Not quite the same I, at the thing. beginning, you'd see like comments from, I mean, I read all my comments. I don't, I don't know if you're one of these people. I, I they don't bother me, but I like to see what, what, what the fans are saying when I post something or whatever. Mm. And they're all talking, they're like, you know, Oh, a rock star that uh, actually follows the rules. I'm like, it's really not about the rules, man. <laughs> like, it's about consideration for other people. Yeah, and know? I mean, like, um, yeah, and that's just I'm I'm not a piece of shit, you know. Like, I just want to, like, right, you know, well, I am to an extent. Well, I am to an extent. Let's be honest, but like, yeah. not. not like, <laughs> <laughs> but a friend of mine put it this way. He said, you know, um, if you, he said, do you think you could take the hit if you put on like an illegal show and then it got identified? as a coronavirus outbreak yeah. source. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I, both, both kind of like politically, if you like, for my career, but also like morally for myself, I'm not sure I could or would handle that, you know? No. So, you know, and, and that's, that's actually what we're talking about here. So like, I want to get back to playing as much, much as anybody. And in fact, like, it's funny, I don't want to get overly kind of like defensive here, but sometimes people are like, oh man, you know, we just really miss live music. And it's like, you miss live music, motherfucker? Let me tell you about missing live music because it's not just that it's my life and the thing I've done pretty much every single day for two decades. It's also how I pay my fucking rent. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah, no. And and not only just the artists too, like you said, again, going back to that charity stuff, it's not just about the artists, the venues, the the promoters, all these things are going to take such a big hit. The, not, not even to mention the guys living... Uh, check to check on the road putting stuff together or right. even even locally the local stage hands it's what they do you know yeah, they're, yeah. they're in there just you know bringing in gear and that's that's their job and that they, right. they don't have a job yeah. right now totally and there's a, there's a huge number of people but i guess i guess one of the things is that like um you know as so we have a thing over here right now which is this that like they sort of said that you could go overseas for a holiday again and that was that was okay and there were certain places you could go and people start going and now they've suddenly they brought in these kind of quarantine restrictions on people coming back from certain countries if those countries have like spikes in the virus yeah. and the thing about it is that only had to happen once before everyone was like well fuck going away again and this <laughs> is the similar thing with the live music thing you know if somebody started putting on shows and just going look fuck it we're gonna take the risk and then it went badly you actually take like three steps back rather than a step forward a thousand percent because you know everyone's gonna go well i'm not gonna shows anymore and you have to kind of take the bigger picture about the whole thing. It's really, really hard, man. And, yeah. and um, uh, you know, I, I, 
who knows who's getting it right or who will get it right or what the right thing to do is. But yeah, no, right. right now that's that's the thing. A lot of you know people are asking for things, and I'm glad we're talking about it as musician to musician. You know, we're hearing things directly from promoters. We're hearing things directly from people. We're we're feeling it directly from ourselves. So like, let everyone right. know, like, hey, straight up, we have zero idea when shit's getting back to normal as far as concerts yeah, go. Yeah, totally. There's there's no way of knowing. But you did say you did get to play. You felt great in front of the fans. Um, I got to imagine yeah. it was probably, I mean, you're, you're playing acoustic and by yourself on the stage, I, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it's a little easier, but everyone's got to be at tables and separated still. Like, how is yeah. that energy? Because, I mean, you, I know you feed off the energy of the crowd. And like when they're yeah, sitting totally. down, it's a little different. Well, one, one of the weirdest parts of it is that we got told, because um, this was this was like a month ago now, um, we got told that um, uh, the audience were not allowed to sing along because of it, like aerosol projection. Wow. That, I when I heard that. that, I kind of agreed to do the show. We hadn't yet announced it, and I got told that was one of the regulations, and I very nearly backed out of it at that point because I was just like, that's so at the heart of, of what I do specifically, yeah. you know, like trying to kind of reach that moment of transcendence when the kind of barriers between performer and audience break down and it becomes a communal activity and yada, yada, yada. Um, but, you know, and it was just like, but even just the idea is like, am I really going to stand on stage and like tell people off if they start singing along, you know? <laughs> well, that's, it shouldn't be your responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the end, you know, it, one, a big part of the reason why I did the show was to be able to say... Uh, I feel like as an industry, we need to be showing ourselves to be kind of willing to try stuff. Do you know what I mean? If the government says, Absolutely. hey, try this, and we go, no, well, then we've lost the ability to continue the argument in any way. Yeah, in absolutely right. We, we did the show, and like, and it, people weren't allowed to sing. I mean, um, I tried to get a hum-along going at one point. That was pretty cool um, <laughs> because I figured that didn't involve aerosol projection um but i mean it would i have to say the actual the, the act of being on stage and the atmosphere in the room was amazing like it wasn't it was weird as hell you know like people were at separate tables and there was table service and there was like one-way systems around the room and like there was even like staggered arrival times to ticket holders so everyone didn't show up at the same time we also we had fucking we had paparazzi photographers showing up trying to take photos of people going in that looked like unsocially distanced wow. to do a hit piece in the tabloid papers over here, which was just like... <laughs> which I got I got to mention, I do, I love the tabloid papers over in England, by the way. I've, I've dealt with them for a long time and like, when we first came over, it was all love and the next time we came over, it was all trying to find dirt on you. Like it's in, and yeah. we're, and I'm talking about years ago when we were like literally nobody and like, they were still doing it. I was, I just find uh, the press over in England is just so different than, than everywhere else. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, the, 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 there was so many restrictions, but like the actual atmosphere in the room while I was playing was, was kind of incredible. You yeah. Know, like people, though I say so myself, but like, do you know what I mean? Like the vibe <laughs> of the room was just like. I, they probably yeah, all had fun. I mean, they, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it they didn't really have anything better to do, it. right? <laughs> well, this is the thing, man. Like, um, you know, and, and it, it's, there is a huge, there's a huge part of this that is sort of like, I'm sort of loath to talk about too much, but also kind of can't really be overstated. Is this like it's not just that I've lost my job and lost my income and all this kind of thing. It's like it's my identity. Do you know what yeah. I mean? This is what I do. I travel and I play shows, and that's what I've done all the time for two decades or more. And to just flat out to go from being in the middle of a tour to like, nope, go home, can't do it. Yeah, man. And indeed, cancel. I mean, I canceled about sort of four or five months of shows that were announced, but as, as you know, as well as I do, you have loads of other shit planned as well yeah. that you haven't announced yet. So we plan, we bend off like a year's worth of shows. Shit, um, man. And, 
and you know it was it was utterly kind of like gut-wrenching and, and really like affected my sense of myself and to get back out on the stage again i was kind of nervous do you know what i mean it was uh, like, yeah oh i'm sure God, like I'm you probably don't get nervous that often anymore after doing it for a couple of decades right, because you know? i do this you get so excited many, so, so much. like everyone asks you know do you still get nervous when you go on stage like no i get excited now i, I like exactly. yes the first few times obviously but like or something that's different i mean i imagine i gotta imagine just because it's different you know, it's just, yeah. you know, but uh, I, I digress. We'll get, we'll get off this, uh, this sad note for now. Um, I'm sure it'll come back up a couple more times. But uh, you, uh, when this actually airs, you will have already done it, but you're playing, uh, you're virtually sh- sharing the stage with Bruce Springsteen. How did that go? <laughs> well, I mean, we hung out backstage, um, and you know, um, I don't know, man. Like the the the, uh, the Joe Strummer birthday thing, right? Yeah, um, the Joe Strummer thing. Yeah, you guys yeah, are doing the, a, a song. It's called a, It's called a song for Joe. Is the uh, is the title of the uh, virtual mm. festival? I believe is what you'd call it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, the thing about that was like, so I do a lot of work with the Joe Strummer Foundation. Um, which is a charity that was set up um, by Joe's family after he died and is currently um, like run and staffed by a lot of old, old friends of mine. So, um, and we do tons and tons of shows together. I go to Sierra Leone every year um, under their aegis um, for one of their projects out there. And, you know, it's kind of music related charity stuff and that's really cool. And like, I had no idea like who else was on the lineup for this thing. They just sent me a message saying, hey man, we're doing a thing for Joe's birthday and getting a few people to play a song. Are you up for it? And like, <laughs> that, that's like, how they said yeah. it. Like they kind of mumbled it to you, like that too. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, and the thing is, they asked me to do this kind of stuff pretty regularly, and so I was like, "Yeah, cool, no worries." Um, and you know, cracked out a cover because I can pretty easily, um, and fired it over, and just sort of didn't really think about it. And then they yeah. sent me the poster for the for the announce, as it were, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like <laughs> that's a lineup right there, and that's it's pretty a cool." Have yeah, and then as I say, the virtual dressing room. Holy cow! Yeah, I mean that, that that must have been insane. I mean, I I, I read somewhere that uh, Bruce Springsteen was kind of one of the main reasons why you. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of it in a second, but kind of where you started to go more. For, uh, uh, I don't I don't want to say folksy, but more singer songwriter than uh, yeah, sure. The other. Definitely. I mean, I, I wasn't super familiar with him growing or familiar at all, actually, growing up. And um, Well, you know, he's uh, an American hero, not an England hero. You know that, right? Yeah, well, and this is the thing. Like, in terms of, like, if you're not paying attention, my perception of Bruce Springsteen when I was kind of young, and particularly when I was into, like, punk rock records as a teenager, mm-hmm. was he was that guy in the blue jeans and the white shirt with the American blue flag. Blue collar, man. That's what it was all about. Yeah, but it just, it seemed really cheesily American. And, you know, I was into the- <laughs> well, was how into dare the you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was into the clash and I'm so bored of the USA yeah. and stuff like that, you know, and it just sort of didn't really like seem to me like it would have any meaning in my life or any appeal to me. And then a friend of mine gave me a copy of Nebraska. Um, and that wasn't like the only thing that happened. I think it somewhat- Somewhere out there on the internet, possibly um, on Wikipedia, it kind of says that like that was this life-changing moment for me. It's not quite <laughs> that simple. Like there was a bunch of shit going on at that time, if you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, no, like, totally. It, it, it's never that simple. I just want to. I just had to bring yeah, yeah. it up because, as as I said, you're virtually going to be sharing the stage with them. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, you already have. It was it was yes, fantastic. Right, okay. um, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the name here and blow my own trumpet. Forgive me that, but I think yeah. it was last year. Um, he actually uh, he he. Was doing. He had a big old feature on him in like Vanity Fair or something like that, and they had a section where they asked what he was listening to, and he listed me. That's so, awesome. Um, which was which was pretty kind of like cool. I'm I'm done now. Do you know what I mean? See you guys <laughs> later. I'll, I'll, I'll 
I'll, uh, um, I'll, you know, I, my, my career is peaked. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, no, no. Well, I mean, I've, and he's, he's a fan for good reason. I got to be honest, I didn't know too much about you before uh, this West Coast versus Wessex that you guys did with, uh, that you did with NoFX. Um, sure. And I knew you, you know, a little bit as a singer-songwriter, heard a couple things, but had no idea that there was uh, this punk rock background, in, in all honesty. You know, I, I hadn't heard the, the Million Dead or uh, Mongol Horde. Sure. Um, that you did yeah, before, yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> obviously, what's that? My dirty secrets. Yeah, your dirty secrets, really. <laughs> How secretive is that? It's not too secretive anymore. No, it's not really. It's, I mean, <laughs> Million Dead was secretive because we weren't that successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I, I got to ask about this Mongol Horde though. This this project you had, mm. I know, it was a long time ago though. But you had like some. It was more satirical lyrics, I guess, or something like that. A little yeah, low I mean, it was. The, I mean, it's a long time ago. I mean, we did a tour last year, actually, um, with oh, really? that band. And um, yeah, and we sort of, the thing about that band is that it's like, it's me, it's Matt who plays keys in my regular band, mm-hmm. and it's a guy called Ben who is a million dead with me. So a three piece, um, it's drums, bar- baritone, guitar, and vocals. Awesome. And like, the initial kind of idea behind doing it was just that I kind of missed hanging out with Ben. Like he and I played together in bands so for, from the age of 10 till the age of 23. Rad. And then I went off and did the solo thing. Um, and I just sort of didn't see him that much anymore. And I also kind of miss playing aggressive music because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. Um, and so, but then beyond that, it's like right from the way I go, the point of the band was to be kind of absurdist, you know? Um, and like, there's, there's some sort of like historical referencing stuff going on there because I'm a massive history nerd. But the, the general point is it's supposed to be kind of like completely OTT and kind of ridiculous and, and weird and uncomfortable and all the rest. Of I it, love you know? that and shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're very much influenced by stuff like kind of like Jesus lizard, you know, um, uh, and, and that kind of territory of kind of weird, uncomfortable sort of hardcore rock noise yeah. kind of crossover yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So it, it's a ton of fun. I mean, and, and this is the thing, like the, the point of that band is it's supposed to be fun. And if it ever starts feeling like work, then we'll just like back off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm busy enough doing what I regularly do. We did one record in 2014. We have plans to do another one. Um, oh, we even cool. like talked about some riffs once upon a time. But like, I couldn't tell you when it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I mean, you can't tell. I mean, again, not to the elephant in the room will keep coming back up. Who knows when when's the right time to put out a record? When's the right time to do anything right now? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, totally. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah, then I, I, you mentioned like an, just being into hard rock in general. Um, you're, uh, I read somewhere that you're an Iron Maiden fan, and one of your first records was Killers, actually, right? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I was kind of stu- I, w- I was ten years old. Like rock and roll hadn't really affected my life in any way. Obviously, it was around. Yeah, um, you know, in terms of like car adverts or whatever the fuck. But like, um, it, it, I didn't really listen. Music wasn't really a thing in my life, and then. Um, uh, basically, I was into Games Workshop, which is like Dungeons and Dragons type shit. Yeah, okay, um, and, right on. Um, I saw I saw an Iron Maiden poster at my friend's house when we were playing Games Workshop, and I said, and I assumed that it was related. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I could see how I could see how that would work. Yeah, Eddie. Yeah. Eddie and looks I like said, he could be a character on on one of those uh, one of those boards. Right. Yeah. So I said to my friend, "Oh, that's you know, what's that? That's cool." And he said, "Oh, it's a band that my brother likes." And I said, and I was like. Get out of here! There's no band that that's that's that fucking cool. It's not possible. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and a couple of days later, um, got a copy of Killers on cassette, and it was like a switch clicking yeah. in my brain. Um, and you know, I still I'm, I'm I'm a diehard Maiden fan, and always will be. Yeah, I mean, I love that you mentioned that it came from a poster. I I, I find 
you know, obviously the music is is amazing from Iron Maiden, but for a lot of people, that imagery it, that that they, that they oh, yeah. made with Eddie is so iconic and like it's so inspiring just by looking at something that I feel like your story is probably not very not extremely unique in the sense that you saw a poster or saw Eddie somewhere oh, first sure. and then got into well, the, Iron Maiden. The other thing about Maiden, which I think is really cool, and a number of guys in the band have actually mentioned this, is like what they did is that they made their front man not a member of the band almost. You know what I mean? So in terms of kind of like you know, sort of the pressures of fame or like sort of, you know, a lot of bands get, as I'm sure you know, get fucked with because everybody focuses on one member of the band to the exclusion of all others or whatever. And like almost Eddie kind of slightly kind of drew the poison out of that for that. Totally. Band, you know what I mean? Because it was like they, it was, who's who's the front man? Who's the leader? It's Eddie, you know, yeah. and the rest of the, can just be a band behind it. Yeah, and that's so it cool. took me, it took me until really like, I mean, when I started doing this as a profession, started doing music as a profession to realize how much it was really Steve Harris's band in a lot of in a lot of respects oh, yeah. as the bass player. Then you know what, man? Then you go out I've and tour every- with them, and you go out and tour. Oh, and they're the, they're the fucking coolest guys in the world. They're so nice. Yeah, dude, I've met everyone in Maiden apart from Steve Harris, and it really, really bothers me. Oh man, <laughs> I'm gonna I'll, if I if you know I don't see him very often. I haven't seen him in like three years. We ran into each other in a hotel, and I had a I had a little chat with him. If I run into him again before you see him, I'll make sure that he he goes out of his way. Okay, that's kind. <laughs> uh, so let, let's get into the main thing that I want to talk about is this <clears throat> West Coast versus Wessex uh, no effects split that you did. Um, yeah. You start off with the, with the easy stuff, like how did it come together? Um, do, who reached out to who? Um, I know that you've you'd probably previously done an acoustic cover of Linoleum, so you were obviously a fan of no effects, I imagine, before. Yeah. Um, but how did the how did the marriage come together? What was the idea behind it? Just to start this whole um, conversation off. Well, so you know, um, uh, um, I've been friends with Mike for about a decade. Um, we met at Reading Festival, mm-hmm. um, and uh, actually, so the way the way that we met was kind of funny. Like, um, no effects were playing. I I'd played on the main stage that day. No effects were like headlining the punk stage. And I went over to hang out because I was done for the day and I was in a really good mood because we just played this huge fucking show. Yeah. Um, and went over to see no effects and they were, they were finishing with a decline. And, um, you know, as, I'm, as you may well know, that song, quite often they get a guest guitarist up at the end to play mm-hmm. Hefe's guitar while he plays the trumpet. And uh, Matt Skiba was supposed to be doing it. And Skiba had gone AWOL, as he often does. <laughs> um, and uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle kind of backstage, and everyone was like, well, who's going to play the guitar? And a mutual friend kind of went, well, Frank can do it. And the guys in the effects were like, who the fuck is he? Um, and, but there was no one else kind of volunteering. So I kind of stepped <laughs> forward, and, and Mike came over, and he said, do you know the chords to the end of the decline? And I was like, I know all the chords to all your songs. <laughs> um, and, then, and then it was like, yeah, I can probably figure it out, you know. Um, and, uh, and they were like, fine, whatever. And then they did the show, and I kind of ran on at the end and did the guitar. And Mike always says that, like, so I did play the guitar, but I also did the backing vocals. And he said, you know, we've had a million people play guitar in that, but no one had ever done, like, backing vocals before. That's so um, he you just went, You just went for it, yeah. Yeah, I just, I know the song really well. I grew yeah. up with No Effects' music. I'm an enormous fan. And um, so Mike kind of checked out my stuff. And the next time I played in LA, he came down to hang out. Um, and we just got on. So we've been friends for about a decade. Um, but last summer, we crossed paths at the festival, as you know, mm-hmm. how it is. You oh, yeah. Know, no, it's, it's so great. That's that's usually when you, you know, we're not always exchanging numbers all the time. You know, sometimes right, you don't see anyone until like, you know, whatever. And then, but like, you, I'm so you, glad you po- pointed out going over and checking out another band. Well, you were, you know, one of your favorite bands. I've had that experience so many times where you're playing a show, right. but, and you might, I, I, you might go like 
over there before your show. Like, you know what I mean? You're like just so excited mm. to go see somebody, you know? Oh, totally. It's, it's better if it's after, though, because then you're done for the day. You can have a oh, beer. You can oh, yeah, up, absolutely. Uh, I could have, yeah, you yeah. know, just one or two beers, not not too many or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah, so, um, uh, um, so yeah, so last last year we were at a festival in Italy, and it's that thing. Quite often, if you're doing a lot of festivals in festival season, as I'm sure you know, you know you wake up and you almost like you were like, "Where are we? Like, yeah. who's playing?" Read the schedule and you go, "Oh, so and so's here. That's cool." And then you run over and you say hi. And it, we had that no effects playing, so you know, ran over and said hi to Mike. Um, and then basically that evening, um, we played, and then Sick of It All played, and then no effects played. Nice. Um, and during Sick of It All set, I was hanging out with Mike on the side of the stage, and, and he just turned around and said, hey, man, do you want to do it? He said, what would you think about doing a cover split? Obviously, so I know about the Rancid cover split they did, and indeed that kind of history of cover splits in the 80s and the 90s and the hardcore scene, it was a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you know, he said, do you want to do one? And I, I kind of shit myself, basically, because, <laughs> you know, the thing is, like, Mike is a, is a, is a genuine, straight up, he's a good friend of mine, he's a yeah. fucking lovely guy, and he's been wonderful about presenting the split as kind of a meeting between equals, but there is one level on which that isn't true, which is that I grew up with posters of Mike on my bedroom wall, and he did not grow up with posters of me on his bedroom wall, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, um, I love that. Uh, I wasn't born yet, you know. Yeah, I was gonna so, say, um, you know, it, it might have. I mean, he might have, but the the, yeah, the time but, but that's a, There's a whole other slant on that story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so you know, um, he, he asked, and I said yes immediately. Um, I think part of it is because we, as friends, a lot of our friendship is based around talking about songwriting in a way that's kind of divorced from genre. You know, we don't talk about being into punk or oil or hardcore or anything else. It's songwriting very purely. Yes. And one of the things about that is it enables you to focus on, you know, what constitutes a song and then what you can do with a song, how the different ways you can arrange a song and all of that feeds into doing a cover split. And one of the coolest parts of the whole thing for me was that once we'd agreed to do it, we didn't even discuss this. It was just understood that no one was going to have any opinion about what the other person was doing until it was done. Yeah, so, so you, had, you, you had no idea, uh, neither one of you guys had, it, or neither one of you knew which songs you're going to pick, why, nope. and how you're going to redo them. No idea what songs or what style or anything. It was just kind of When was like, the first time you got anything. to hear the split then? Was it, um, was it when you were done? Thing. Yeah. Like right before release? Uh, no, not quite that much, but like Mike sent me like a, you know, a zip file with their finished yeah. mastered songs in it. And, uh, which was really cool because I got to listen to it kind of as a as a as an objective listener. Almost, yeah, which is know? awesome. I got I, I can only imagine hearing someone else's you know and having one of your heroes, as you said, posters on the wall doing your songs. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, and he's, you know, and they're a band with a very distinctive style and, and, and sound and all the rest of it. And hearing lyrics that I wrote and chord changes that I wrote, whatever in that style was just like oh shit. You know, um, it was super cool. And then Mike's been very complimentary about our side of the split. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I did with the songs. I think, uh, you know, I found a way into them that was kind of different Dude. from the original, which is the point, obviously. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you, you perfectly laid me up into this. Dude, what you did to these no effects songs that I grew up lo loving, um, as you did, was, was, was fucking pure, pure genius. I mean, I, I, I think... For me, being a bass player and looking up to Fat Mike as as a songwriter, bass player, all of the above, his bass lines have always been something that I've transcribed and the whole you know done the whole nine as a kid, mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of the bass lines that you you changed up really kind of and correct me if I'm wrong really kind of staged a lot of what's going on around it. You know, um, I mean, what you did with Eat the Meek just 
typically more of yeah. a, like a reggae song and you'd put this you know you took the the, the chords and put a different bass line underneath it and it just mm, it yeah. completely changes the the feel of the song what was what was your approach to you know every song or each song how how did you approach yeah. you know how you're going to change shit up I mean, I guess, you know, the, the changing it was the major kind of directive. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's no point in doing it the same way. Otherwise, I'm just going less to the original. And then beyond that, broadly speaking, I wanted to my side of the split to be stylistically diverse. You know, I mean, in the music that I make regularly, it's quite stylistically diverse. So I wanted to kind of reflect that and not do everything kind of in the same way. Um, and then once I'd done that, it was, you know, picking the songs was kind of interesting because on the one level, you go for your favorite songs. But then with some of them, it's kind of like, I don't know how to change this um, uh, or, or to make it make it different or at least kind of justify a different version of mm -hmm. it or whatever. Um, so, you know, it was about finding songs where I felt like I could put my stamp on it. So um, just briefly, like, so we did Scavenger Type because I wanted to do kind of like a, in quotes, like a punk version of one of their songs. But there's no point in trying to do a punk version of a normal no effects song. Totally. Because... They are punk already. So, <laughs> and then I thought about it and it was like, I remember Scavenger Type. That's a song that's acoustic. And the way they do it so it was like cool let's do and obviously my version of punk is pretty different from the no effects yeah. version like musicologically but nevertheless it was like cool we'll do an aggressive version of that song um then like bob i've always thought that bob was secretly like a 70s country song it sounds like george jones to me <laughs> like, lyrically <laughs> that's you know a, that's mean? a brilliant observation i've never noticed it like that i mean i now yeah. that i've heard your cover I've, I've heard it in a different light but i mean when listening to it as a kid i was just like i mean it was it was like a ska punk song. It was like during an era where like ska punk was was popular, and I was like, oh, they sure. they they're, they'd have a little ska part in it, just probably kind of poking fun as they do to most things. And the rest of the yeah. song is a no effects song, no, it's exactly. a punk song. But it's just I, I always thought that. I mean, there's there, you know I, I'm a huge fan of like um, country music, mm -hmm. all country music, but um, well, apart from some of the modern pop stuff. But let's not go there. <laughs> um, but, but like, wait, wait, no, um, let's go but, there. Why don't you name a few names for me, Frank? <laughs> uh, I don't know, the kind of the modern kind of Nashville sound no, is not really for me. Yeah, no, um, totally. I, I, I get you. But, uh, but, you know, what, one of the things I love about the songwriting of kind of like, you know, the, the old kind of like Mel Haggard and George Jones and Loretta Lynn, stuff like that kind of stuff, is that it's like, is the perfectly turned phrase, you know, and there's such kind of delicacy and precision in the lyrics. I and mean, even as a kid, I remember hearing that, like, the doctor said, what have you been thinking about? And Bob said, that's the point. I want to think about nothing. Mm -hmm. It's That's a fucking country lyric right there, you know? And, and so... <laughs> So I picked that one because I wanted to try and do a country version of it, and and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Perfect Government, we just kind of did in, I guess, sort of in my regular wheelhouse. Do you know what I mean? In the yeah. way that of songs of mine, like Recovery or Still Believe or whatever. It was like, let's do one that's just straight down the line. You know what I mean? Um, and then Falling in Love is a song that me, the, pretty much the first time I hung out with Mike um, uh, socially after we met at Reading, I, we got drunk together. And I said to him, you know, man, Falling in Love is like one of your best songs. And he looked at me and he was like, I think that too, but literally no one else in the world does. Oh, no. And no I that's, said, he just isn't listening to people because that is, I 1,000% well, agree with you. Like, Falling in Love, yeah, when a, I heard that song uh, on So Long, Thanks for All the Shoes, I was just like, what the? This isn't, this isn't even a no effect song this is just a like a beautifully written song like i mean it's right yeah it's a different it's a whole other thing and so um uh yeah and i again you know trying to find a different way into it kind of went for that kind of leonard cohen kind of approach to it um but then the one so and i've saved it to last because it's my favorite song on our side of the split is eat the meat i love that song the original it's got that kind of dubby reggae feel as you yeah. mentioned and this is to me the sign of a good song is that like 
when we first started coming at it, we kept, me and my band, we kept ending up in the original arrangement sort of by accident. Yeah. You know, no matter where we started, we kind of slip back into the way that's they play, which is, that's a vote of confidence in the song, right? Oh, yeah, if you keep going back to you, you're just, you're just like, this is what it's got to be. There's no, there's no overthinking it now. Like, this is what it's going to be. Right. Um, and so we've nearly kind of abandoned it on that level, but I just so wanted to do that song. Um, and then the breakthrough moment was um, uh, the magic word, which was Fugazi. Um, I'm an enormous, enormous, enormous Fugazi fan, as does everyone in my band. And like I said to uh, Tarrant and Nigel, my bass player and my drummer, like, what if you guys played it like Joe Lally and Brendan Canty, you know, and tried to kind of pull something out of that kind of like kill taker era Fugazi or whatever. And straight away they slipped into that bass groove, that, you know, which is on the song. That's how yeah. the song opens. That's that. And then that's it was the like. First thing I, that, that stood <clears> out to me. Yeah, so then it was like, cool, now we have our template, you know, and we can move from here. And then the rest of it, you know, it's got a kind of national feel to it, vocally almost, I say, I'd mm -hmm. say. Uh, that was my intention. Um, and, and so there's some kind of pretty kind of droney, um, epic, Eno-esque kind of shit going over the top. But yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with how that one I'm so out. glad that that's the one that, you, that you're most proud of right now, because uh, in perfect honesty, I think it's the, it, it is the best one. You know, I think Falling in Love was great, but, you know, that's hard to, I mean, as we said, it's a masterpiece of a song. You know, it's hard to, it's, you did a great job with it. But I think the, the reinvention of Eat the Meek was really something that, that really stood out to me. Um, so obviously you went through the songs that you picked. How, how did you feel when you found out the songs that they picked and you were listening back? Like, what, like <laughs> where, were you, were you kind of like, Oh, they picked subtle where you could kind of hear a little bit. I don't know if it was intentional, but you could kind of hear a little bit of no effects style chords in that song, uh, on, in your, ver you know, your original version of it. Oh yeah, totally. Which, which, which is, a, it's because they are an influence on my songwriting because yeah. I've listened to them endlessly since I was a teenager, you know? Um, actually one of the ones that was funny to me and Mike was not aware of this. Um, the, the, one of the songs that did was called the ballad of me and my friends. And, yeah. and there's a line at the end of that, which has sort of turned into one of the more popular songs I've ever written. Um, <laughs> lyrics I've ever written, I should say, we're definitely going to hell. We'll have all the best stories to tell. And the first part of that actually, I remembered kind of when I listened to No Effects side of the split, they have a B-side from years ago called I'm Definitely Going to Hell for This One, um, and which doesn't feature that line in the actual song. It's just the title of the song. And I was just, when I heard it, I was like, you fucking idiots. If you're not going to use it, I'm going to use it. You know what I mean? So, um, and, it kind of, you know, and that's where that lyric kind of was birthed from. And um, it was, and then it kind of came around full circle because then no effects covered it. And it was just like, oh, fuck me. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I didn't really know what they were going to do or how they were going to do it, and it was all pleasant surprise. I mean, I was happy for them to do what they wanted well, to do. Well, more specifically, I got to ask, uh, how did you feel about LFA's uh, uh, impersonation of you on uh, <laughs> on the on the on the no. record? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was um, an admirable effort. What can I, say? <laughs> um, I think that it's funny. Like, um, uh, it's here's the thing. Like. And it, I might be completely misguided about this, but like in my experience as an English person, quite often an American will be like, oh, do you want to hear my English accent? And we're always like, not really, but then we get it anyway. I had the best thing, real quick story. We were in Ireland, actually. So it's, I know it's not exactly the same, but we asked, uh, we were asking, you know, is it, is it, is it taboo for me to ask you for an Irish car bomb, a drink we have in, in, uh, um, in America, in the name, you drop uh, Jameson and Guinness, and you pound it, right? 
Um, yeah. But it's obviously got to be somewhat offensive, right? And we're like, how do we order this drink without being offensive? And yeah, yeah, his yeah. response was like, and we're like, would you be offended? And he's all, would you be offended if I called you a cocksucking cowboy? <laughs> I was like, a little, but I get I, now I get your point. You know, I was like, you, yeah, you don't yeah. want to hear the accent. I know it's a little off topic, but you don't want to hear the accent done because it's like, yeah, yeah. no, you're not going to do but it. This is it. So uh, Americans are always quite keen to volunteer their British accents, and they're te- generally, no offense, they're generally terrible because most of them <laughs> seem to be based around. They, the most of them seem to be based around Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, who is legendarily doing the single worst version of a Cockney accent anyone's <laughs> ever done ever. Um, anyway, um, and so, you know, I'm quite, and, and the thing is, I'd never do the same to an American. I'd never be like, hey, do you want to hear my American accent? Like, it's just not a thing I'd ever do. Um, but anyway, that, maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Hefe's accent. It's fucking so terrible. So you don't, you don't want to give it a shot right here on the show? Do a little American accent? No, I do everywhere. not. No, because no, no. I know it's fucking awful. Well, you never know until you try. You've never even tried, have you? Oh, I, I have tried. I have tried. I've tried and failed. I've swum and missed. You're not gonna. You're not gonna drive this out of me. It's a, it's a valiant effort. You're not gonna drive me out. Ah, uh, uh, you know, I gotta try here. Um, but the, again, such great work on the the West Coast versus Wessex. Everyone, if you Thank haven't you. already checked it out, make sure you go check that out and all of uh, Frank Turner's stuff. Uh, one of the other things I have to ask about, I know it was a long time ago and you've probably answered everything under the sun there was about this very, <laughs> very, very good day. But given the, the, the state of the world right now, aren't you glad you booked the 2012 Olympics versus the, two, the 2020 Olympics? <laughs> well, I mean, thankfully the 2012 one was in the UK, so that's when I got the opportunity <laughs> to do it. That was one of the weirdest fucking things ever but i mean you know i operate in life on the principle that you should probably say yes if you can because life is short Fuck um, yeah. and it's funny i mean i did get a little bit of backlash from some of like the punk scene for for, for doing the olympic thing and it was just like i mean first of all danny boyle asked, asked me personally as a fan what are you gonna fucking say to that no. but also secondly it's it's just it's the way i justified it was it was like I'd rather in 50 years time, 60 years time, I'd rather be the old guy in the corner of the bar telling the story about the time he played the Olympics rather than being the old guy in the corner of the bar telling the story about the time he got asked to play the Olympics and said no. That's a worse story. Absolutely. You know what I mean? like, no, no I'd one wants to hear that story. 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 Everyone's like, well, get the fuck out of here. The, the, the latter, the, 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 the former story is, is, is so much better. You get free beer out of it's, that story. It's, right, exactly. There we go. So I'm buying my, I'm buying my elderly self beers. There you go. Yeah, but it was, it was cool, man. I mean, it was fucking weird, um, you know. And like, it was really strange because, like, just before we did it, there was a, there was one level in which it was like, is this going to like completely like explode my career into this enormous level? And bearing in mind that like shortly before we did it, I just headlined my first arena show and sold it out. I just got my first gold record. It wasn't like I was kind of like a complete unknown at this point yeah but like you know i had this like is this gonna be weird am i gonna have this like overnight suddenly i'm like fucking david bowie type shit going on and it totally wasn't that at all like you know some people became aware of me when it happened yeah. but i think most people saw it on the tv and went who's that guy and then carried <laughs> on with their life you know what i mean and, and that's cool and it's fine you know the no. one absolute definite positive that came out of it is the it, before the olympics was the last time my mum asked me when i'm gonna get a real job Oh, and since then she has, she's gotten off your back or did something? Yeah, she's definitely accepted that this is a real job once I played the fucking Olympics. <laughs> well, that's all the reason you needed to fucking do it right there. There we go. Yeah, proving it's my own. Uh, coming up, uh, you, uh, it looks like, you know, looks like you've signed on to do the Punk and Trouble Tour, the Punk and Trouble Tour. Yeah. 
Well, I was supposed to be doing it this year. Yeah, um, actually. So this um, is just a postponement of of what was supposed to happen this yeah, year. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, I, with everything I said earlier about feeling a bit weird about people doing stuff next year, I mean, this is a postponement of a thing that was I was already on last totally. year and part of a package deal and all the rest of it. So it is what it is. I, re- I sincerely hope it happens. As we said earlier, I really hope that I'm wrong about my pessimism and all the rest of it. But um, I mean, you know, basically, in, actually, um, you know, doing the Punk and Drublick tour was kind of part and parcel of doing the split with no effects. It was like, cool, let's do. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, you know, and indeed, hopefully an American leg and and, and uh, a North American leg, I should say. And, and indeed, anywhere else they do it. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm happy to do the whole thing. But um but yeah, you know, we, we shall see what happens to that. Beyond totally. that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was supposed to be making a new record right now um, in California, which I'm evidently not doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're in California, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be up this early doing this shit, let me tell you. Yeah, I, was, right. I was like running around. <laughs> my hair's not done. I usually have my hair done and shit, and I'm just like, you know what? I got to throw a hat on. Fucking get, <laughs> it's 10 in the morning no, here. You're getting ready to go to bed at some point over there in London. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway. that, the... Speaking on the the punk and drublick thing, I bring it up um, mostly because here in here in the in California, when I saw them here at the beach, I literally can walk to the beach from my house and watch No Effects that time, which was amazing um, yeah. on my own beach. That I used to fucking surf all the time. And uh, I digress. They had all these beers out. Obviously, they had their own uh, punk and drublick beer that was that was popular before uh, Fat Mike said some uh, unkind things about country artists or something like that. That was. Uh, <laughs> They they, yeah, they lost um, they, they they said something that they you know was definitely not PC oh, and a little I know too that soon. Whole story. <laughs> everyone when, everyone when, knows that story, and if they don't, they could go yeah. Google it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like whatever one might say about Mike, he is a man who is like operates under his own rules. Oh, his, absolutely. Which is punk as fuck, no, you know dude, I mean? like, no, so. he's punk rock royalty. He and he doesn't even try. That's what even makes it even better punk rock royalty. And I've, right. I've had the pleasure of meeting Mike several times. We've done warp tours together. He always reintroduces himself to me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not someone who he's talking to all the time, but, uh, uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, he's, he's such a great dude, um, on a personal level. All the crazy stories are true. However, like he's got, he's oh, got yeah. both, both, both sides. He's a maniac. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck, man. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck. It's fucking perfect. So I bring that up to, uh, I bring up the beer, everything to ask, what is your favorite go-to drink? Like you, you say like, and specifically if you're going to say beer, you got to give me a kind of beer or at least, or, or a okay. label or something. This is possibly the moment where our budding friendship is about to run into the rocks and Uh-oh. collapse and die. Uh oh. Um, but let me justify myself fully before you judge me. Okay. Right? I'm, I'm ready. So I'm all mean? ears. So there is a stereotype, right? That like, um, that the British people have warm beer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a kid growing up and I'd never really been to the States, I was like, yeah, fuck you, Americans. You know what you're talking about? You know, we've got fridges in our pubs and all the rest of it, like whatever. <laughs> and then you go to the America and you tour and in America, you guys have freezing cold beer yeah. and it's amazing <laughs> and it's so much better. And then Wait, you how, 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 I'm, 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 I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm worried about this setup because so far this sounds really good. Yeah, well, I'm trying to buy you up. And the, so, the, you know, so, and then you come back to the England after being in the States, particularly if you go to the States for like, you know, three months on a tour or whatever, you come home, you order a bottle of beer in the pub and it's kind of a, a degree cooler than room temperature and you're like, fuck this. You know what I mean? So I, I, I like my beers really, really cold and fizzy and like, I'm just a fan of light American beers, like Miller Light and Bud Light and shit like that. I just like it, man. There's nothing wrong with that. Day. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, I had to start 
I had to start somewhere too. I think I was about 15 when I first had my 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 uh, Coors Light or Miller Light. <laughs> I mean, I've gra- I've graduated since then, and I, and I don't mean to quote Step Brothers, but uh, yeah, I remember my first beer too, buddy. So <laughs> no, I know, I know, but it's like, it's funny though because like, I mean, I just you know, if I'm drinking beer, I'd like my my beer to be really light and kind of no, no, easy. it makes sense. No, I mean, I in all in all seriousness, like Miller Lite's one of the things that we have um, on our rider yeah. every night. We'll have some of the right. craft beers too. We like to get local sure. beers as well. Well, it's funny. I, I'm, I, we get, I get given, I'm sure you have this as well, on tour, just get given like endless craft beer. And there's guys in my band who drink mm-hmm. it, and that's cool. And it's very generous when people do that. And, and indeed, I'm always happy to be supportive of independent breweries and blah, 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 blah. But it's like um, right now, like during lockdown, quite a few people have like been sending me like kind of care packages of like craft and weird and exciting beers. I'm yeah. like, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> you know, have you got any Budweiser? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so insulting. It's like going to the steakhouse and asking for a No, I, I know, I know. It makes me a terrible human. And, and but what can I say? I mean, I, don't, I drink wine. And I'm, actually, my, my, my real, if I'm being posh, my real drink of choice at the moment is tequila. And like good, good, like 100% agave tequila um, is a big thing for me, which I got into recently because I, I had to stop drinking whiskey. Because whiskey, um, I used to used to drink tons of whiskey, and um, it just really started disagreeing with my personality. You know yeah, I, mean? I know. I, I I hear you. I mean, it, it takes some time, but like people, you, you kind of have to navigate it along the way. In all seriousness, I love drinking. Obviously, I have a show that somewhat revolves around drinking at some point. But you know, at the end of the day, like I don't, I'm not really advocating everyone just go out and get a fucking alcohol. Oh bottle, yeah, yeah, sure. But like, well, of course, yeah. And actually, just as a brief aside, like one of the one of the groups that I think has been underappreciated, the struggle they're going through in lockdowns, anyone who's in any kind of recovery. Because it's going to be a very, really, very really shit time. Because, you know, a lot of that kind of thing depends on support networks. And, like, people, you know, it's t- if you've been locked down... And, and the old adage, recovery, not to mention the old adage, idle hands. You know, idle hands will, you know... You finish right, it. Exactly. Somebody else who's smarter than me. But you know, you know the fucking adage. Uh, yeah, I mean, like when you've got nothing else to do, it's like I mean, I know I you know at the beginning of this thing, I've uh, tried. I had to look in the mirror at one point and it's like you're getting a little plump there, buddy. It's time to. Uh, oh yeah, totally, man. Dude, the, first, the first kind of two or three weeks of this, I was pissed basically. I was yeah. drunk um, because what the fuck else are you can do with the time? Yeah. But no, but seriously, I mean, a, a few years ago, my buddy Larry, who's um, from a British um, uh, emo band called Hundred Reasons. Um, okay. Uh, uh, anyway, he taught me how to drink tequila properly. And how you drink tequila properly is you don't mix it with anything else. Yes. You just have a bottle of tequila and you put it in a shot glass. You don't shoot it. You sip it. There's no salt. There's no lime. None of that bullshit. You just get good 100% garlic tequila. And you drink it slowly and you savor it and, and have it with ice. That's cool. Um, and if you do that, it's a really pleasant evening. It's not like wild and out of control. It's just kind of a sunny evening and you don't feel too shitty the next day either. Yeah, totally. And it, it's, it's about the sipping versus the shooting, right? Cause if you're taking shots, yeah. you don't feel it for a couple minutes. So you're like, Oh, it's been five minutes. Let's take another shot. And then now those all <laughs> it all comes back to you in about like 30 minutes. You're like, fucked. Yeah. And then, and then you can't talk anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's your, and, and, what's your and, and, favorite and, and, tequila though? What's, what's your bottle that, what's your go-to bottle? Wow. I've got a couple go-tos. You know what? If I, if I, if if it was like my my last drink on Earth, or if there's no limits on this or whatever, the Don Julio 1942. Um, that's is, right. See, we're friends again now. We're friends again oh, now. That's the that's, that shit is well. One one of the things I love about that stuff is that it's so kind of earthy and smoky that it's almost like a whiskey. Absolutely. In, in texturally, um, I mean, of course, it costs an un- unbelievable amount of money, so it's not like a drink that I have regularly, um, <laughs> but. Just before lockdown, um, the tour I was on, we sold out 
the tour basically and my promoter had given me a present of a bottle of that um as a as a congratulations for selling out the tour just before i had to come home so i've had one bottle of it at home during lockdown which has been cool that's so rad yeah that's that's one of my go-to's as well smooth like i'm glad you mentioned the whiskey taste of it a lot of people don't realize that because they've only had silver tequila but when you get into the añejos they are sipping they are smoky they're everything you want them to be you got to get into mezcals if you like whiskey too if you like smoky whiskey yeah 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 you gotta get into mezcals as well um, no, totally. Well, I mean, I, I quite often get asked the question, like, what's one piece of advice you'd give the world? And my answer to that is this, which is never drink tequila that comes in a bottle that has a plastic hat. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know if you've seen the show. You can't see it right now. I have a novel. Next time, you, next time you're in the States, next time you're in California, I got to have you come back with or without the cameras. You're going to hang out at my home bar here and you got to drink it from the tequila hat. It is the worst. F- it's actually an entire hat. I'll show you in a second. They'll, we'll put oh, a wow. thing in there. I play games often when I have my guests on the show here up in the bar, and we'll do drinking games. And one of the main penalties that keeps coming back is you have to take a shot of this. And it's a, not, it's a, novel, a novelty hot hat, easy for me to say, um, that, that it's the worst tequila I've ever had, and I've had some pretty bad tequilas. Well, so a lot of that tequila isn't even really tequila. Apparently, some of it's like vodka blends and stuff as well. And oh, it's I'm just sure like, it is. I don't. I don't even. I think I picked it up at like it was like a white elephant Christmas thing, and I, cool. I ended up with it. But then, of course, I'm an asshole. I had to try it. <laughs> and I just be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not just gonna not try it. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, we're gonna have to have you again. Thank you so much. We're gonna have to have you in person down the line. Like I said, with or without the cameras, we got to hang. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Everyone follow Frank Turner on social media. It's just at Frank Turner. Um, I started following. He's, he's got some good shit that he's you know, posting about. <laughs> um, again, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, man. So, uh, it's a I'll pleasure talk- and another, man. All right, thank man. you. Cheers. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thank you to Frank Turner, and thank you guys again for listening. Really appreciate it. If you don't already, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Drinks with Johnny. Uh, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com. We have some new merch coming soon, everybody. We're going to launch an entire new line uh, coming November, the very beginning of November, just in time for the holidays. So uh, make sure you're, you head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and sign up for our newsletter there. You receive uh, 20% off, I believe is what we set it to. Uh, you'll get a promo code for that. If you sign up now, you can use the promo code later when we have the new merch out. Um, and yeah, that's just, you know, show that you're rep- repping the show here and uh, sh- supporting uh, what we're doing together. Um, I do have a small team that uh, is put together for this show and they're, they work really hard to help me entertain you guys. So all those, all that money goes to their pockets, not mine. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, just uh, go sign up for the newsletter, Thirsty Thursday. I'm always putting out a Thirsty Thursday newsletter where you, you'll get an advance of what episodes are coming next week in the following weeks as well as that promo code i talked about what's going on everything drinks with johnny so you don't miss out on anything so head over to drinkswithjohnny.com for that as i said at the beginning of this episode that i was going to play my favorite song um from the west coast versus wessex ep split that frank did with uh no effects and we mentioned it in the interview here uh it's also the one that he was most proud of uh, so without further ado, I'm going to leave you guys, uh, with Frank Turner's cover of eat the meek. And, uh, I guess that'll just about do it. And, uh, till next time. Cheers.
wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.